Welcome, everybody. Spiritual Psychotherapy, Episode 7, The Long-Awaited. So I want to start off, as always, by centering ourselves. Um, And, you know, this week I've been really, really touched by the words of uh, the great, the late great Thich Nhat Hanh. He was a 95-year-old Vietnamese guru who just died a couple of years ago. And, And there's something about the way that he speaks and his entire demeanor that gives off a level of peace and serenity that I think is so rare and so hard to come by. And whenever I listen to him, he puts me in such an unbelievable place. Uh, I read a lot of his book this past Shabbat um, called The Diamond That Cuts Through Illusion. And it really made my Shabbat unbelievably enriched. And I'm so grateful for that. And I listen to him in the car all the time now. And it's just an unbelievable companion to have with you. So I'd like to read with you some of his words. Um, But just to center ourselves, uh, you know, if you want to just think these words, Baruch Haba, so glad to have you again. I'm I'm glad I didn't scare you off last week. Baruch Hashem. That's how I know you're... You you fought with God. Oh my God. Wow, 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 wow. For you, I got to get up. All the way from Pennsylvania. Amazing. Baruch Haba. Yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. Get your food. So the words of Thich Nhat Hanh that, that really uh, center me and that I try to remind myself whenever I'm approaching anything spiritual is these words. I have arrived. I am home. On the in-breath, you can think I have arrived. On the out-breath, you think I am home. And you really feel into that, you know, and, and you realize that we're not looking for anything that's really outside of us. Whatever you're looking for, it's already here. So I think that's important to keep in mind because we don't want to get too far, uh, you know, away from right here and right now with whatever we're speaking about. And uh, let's, without further ado, let's dig into some of these interesting stories. And I hope you guys will appreciate this stuff. The first one, two monks were arguing about a flag. One said, the flag is moving. The other said, The wind is moving. The sixth patriarch happened to be passing by. He told them, not the wind, not the flag. Mind is moving. So uh, the comment uh, of the person who wrote this, this part of the book, he says, the sixth patriarch said, the wind is not moving. The flag is not moving. Mind is moving. What did he mean? If you understand this intimately, he says, you will see the two monks there trying to buy iron and gaining gold. The sixth patriarch could not bear to see those two dull heads, so he made such a bargain. So what do you think he means? In his comments, he even gives an, an even more cryptic idea. He says, he saw these two people trying to buy iron and gain gold, and he allowed this to happen. So he allowed these two people who were seeking for some kind of answer seeking for some kind of understanding. And he gave them an answer that would give them the real understanding. So it was, you know, like uh, they say, you take one of those uh, tests in high school and it's multiple choice. It's like A, B, C, D. And then C is like A and B. D is A and C. And then E. And so, so they have uh, one of these jokes. They say, what's the answer? So they say a statement. 
It's true, false, or none of the above. <laughs> so, so he's telling them it's not true or false. It's none of the above here, which I really get a kick out of. And, and he's telling them it's not the flag that's moving. It's not the wind that's moving. It's mind that's moving. And so here, um, Mimon says, wind, flag, mind moves. The same understanding. When the mouth opened, all are wrong. So I, I think he explains exactly what he means with those words, where when you're trying to put into words what a phenomenon is, you totally do injustice to reality. So what is this thing that we call a self? What is a human being? We have no idea. We just call it that. We have no idea what you are at your core, at your essence. And yet we speak about it, and that's okay. But I think what this teacher was trying to do, this patriarch, he was trying to remind his students, whatever words you're going to try to use to explain this natural phenomenon, as simple as a flag blowing in the wind, be careful. Be careful not to buy into a hook, line, and sinker. And to think that 100%, yeah, this is uh, the flag moving, or 100%, this is the wind moving. No, in reality, the only thing that's moving is your mind. And as we've discussed in the past, a lot of this has to do with our conception of time. Because there can be no movement if you're fully in this moment. And last week, one of my favorite quotes from Alan Watts that we spoke about is that in a Taoist kind of a way, that if you want to be so fully present in this moment, the same way that if you want to get rid of all the, the, the carts on a freight train, the best way to do it is not to unhook each cart one at a time. So maybe that's what psychotherapy does for us. It helps us get rid of those that baggage one at a time, one at a time. We work through it. That's fine. That's important. I think we should engage in that. Wow, record time. Unbelievable. Baruch Now it's a class. Now, now we could start. So instead of having to, to release every single cart one at a time, we could instead uncouple the entire freight train from, wow, we can uncouple the entire freight train just from that front car with the engine. We got a real party going on tonight. Um, so I'll bring you guys up to speed if you ever missed it. Uh, we were just discussing this story if you want to read it. So, Alan, if yes. uh, if there's a flag blowing in the wind, yes. what's moving, the flag or the wind? If you if you give me the answer, then you're enlightened. Give me a second. Give me a second. Okay, I'll give you a, I'll give you a few more seconds. Um, so, if if there's a flag blowing in the wind, what's moving, the flag or the wind? Uh, why why is question accurate maybe the wrong. Oh, oh that's a very that's a very jewish answer the jewish answer is to question the question <laughs> but i didn't even think of that that was that was a great answer um so i'll tell you sammy that that if you have a flag blowing in the wind there were two students that were arguing that said is the flag moving or is it the wind that's moving and the sixth patriarch this big guru guy's walking by and he says neither it's your mind that's moving and the way that you can understand that is that if there's a flag blowing in the wind, is it the flag that's moving or is it the wind that's moving? So the guru says, 
the guru says that <laughs> which we get a, we get a diagram let's get somebody bring a flag in here show him what we mean so uh he's still in his business head <laughs> so oh, okay so that's one thing but instead of saying that for some reason this guru decided to say it's neither it's the mind that's moving and part of that is who just made up the story? Probably that could be as well. Wow, this guy came in very cynical this week. What did I do? I'm sorry. I apologize if there's something I did wrong. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. 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 So I, what I think is, my humble opinion is based on this guy's comment. He says, "Wind, flag, mind moves the same understanding. When the mouth opens, all are wrong." So there's this constant thing that whenever we talk about the mystical stuff, we constantly need to remind ourselves whatever we attempt to crystallize into words is absolute nonsense when it comes to reality. So there was actually a story I just read about one of these other gurus that he uh, he spent his whole lifetime developing a commentary on this amazing sutra that he read. One of these like really deep ideas. He read a whole commentary his whole life. And then one day he visited his guru's house and the, he, as he was leaving the guru's house, it was very late at night. It was very dark. And uh, the guru decided, uh, he, he, was, he says, oh, it's dark. Let me, let me give you this lit candle. He gives him the lit candle. And right before the guy walks outside, the guru blows out the candle. And at that moment, the guy became enlightened. And, he, and he, he said at that moment, he went home and he burned all of his commentary to this whole sutra. And he says, compared to what I realized in that moment, all this stuff is nonsense. There's a, there's a story in the Gemara about a rabbi that he decided he was going to be Doresh. He was going to explain every single et in the Torah, every single one of these words that not everybody understands. And then he got to the words, et Adonai the Lord your God shall you fear. And he couldn't uh, explain what that it meant because he's like, what else is there other than fear of God? How could I possibly add to this? And he totally abandoned the project. And then later on, I think came to be Akiva and he says, to include rabbis and Tamid Hachamim, you have to have respect not only for God, but also for those who represent God in, in, in the rabbis. And it just goes to show you there's a certain level of like gravity to this type of thinking. Where when you undertake a project, if you're really intellectually honest, you realize, take everything with a grain of salt. Don't take it too seriously. And these are just words, because at the end of the day, real reality as it's experienced is something that's totally ineffable. And that's kadosh. But that doesn't mean everything else that, that, that was written down or experienced was wrong. Perfect. So it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It means that it's more like a finger pointing at the moon, which is what I like to say that you're supposed to follow the finger to where it's pointing rather than focusing on the finger for the rest of your life. You're supposed to say, oh, maybe it's pointing me in a certain direction. Right? That's, that's the way I see it. So, so that's just food for thought in my humble opinion. <laughs> and, and who is humble opinion? That's the real question. Wow, this guy's having too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you see, the other thing is wind you don't see. Not visible, the flag. Ah, that's amazing. So, so it's almost like you could expand this argument to a whole bunch of things. You know, you could expand it to the the mahloket, the disagreement is reality fundamentally particles, or is reality fundamentally waves? Is everything stuff that I could pinpoint like particles, 
Or is it all stuff that's not really there and it's just a wave of possibilities? And the answer is it's both. And that's, you know, what Alan Watts would say is that we have what's called prickly people and we have people that are more gooey people. So prickly people want everything to be definitive and they're more square in their thinking and they're, they're all in favor of everything is particles and you're black and white, you could break and, you know, break everything down and they like logic and math. And then you have the gooey people who like art and music and they surf and everything is kind of like a, a, a very gooey, you know, and, and they think reality is made up of all these waves. And who's right? The answer is it's both and it's neither. Right. It's it's all of the above. So true, false or none of the above. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see at the end of the class if he wants to send me an angry email or if he wants to. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, good. Good. Jujitsu, you let me know. Exactly. Mike, Mike. What's the what? Give me the. I just googled them for a minute, but what's the uh, what's the connection with Alan Watts? Ah, so what, what's the connection between which thing? This part? No, in other words, where'd you find them? Oh, Alan Watts is a very interesting uh, philosopher. I think he was just very popular. I don't know how I first came about him. Yeah, really on YouTube, and uh, probably an algorithm on YouTube is the reason that I that I found enlightenment through Alan Watts. No, I'm kidding. I I have not found enlightenment. Somebody else has. Um, but Alan Watts is one of these people that I personally, when I listen to him with some chill step music, and I go for a walk on the boardwalk. That is my olam haba. You leave yeah. me alone. Nobody needs me. I don't need nobody. It's just me listening. And it is, it's, it's a meditation in a wow. sense. And it opens me up. I'll send you some unbelievable stuff. I'm so glad you asked because I did. No, because I, I Googled them and I got, I got, I fell in love with him with the Japanese connection. So yes, yes. <laughs> he's, he's fantastic. Really? I have so much to send you, ID. We're going to, we're going to party after this. Oh, oh, no, okay, careful. good. You, you have to say it again, Ronnie. I said he's got to be careful. <laughs> yes. So I sent I sent Ronnie an Alan Watts chill step this week. Ronnie. And Ronnie was driving and Ronnie almost crashed because okay. no, nah, not, not actually. He said that he was experiencing something mystical while he's driving. So be careful. Don't necessarily listen to these unbelievable things because you might just become enlightened on your way to work. <laughs> So take take care. Enlightened and blinded. Enlightened and blind. Ah, yes, you might become blinded by the light of enlightenment. Um, people are gonna think we're nuts after this class. I'm just telling y'all, we're all in this together. It's not just me. You guys saying this with me. I'm taking down names. Yeah, I post this. Be careful. Careful what you say, Sammy. This is going. This is this is being blasted out to the whole country. Uh, this is not. This is not my. This is not my camera. <laughs> that's just there for show oh God, so speaking of alan watts speaking of alan watts we're gonna we're gonna quote a couple of quotes here that i really love from him so we always like to talk about how life is not not really a journey it's more of a dance because if you think of it too much as a journey i think on one end it is a journey but if you think of it solely in terms of being goal oriented you're never going to be present in the now and you're always going to be looking for something more so so how do you balance that you balance the idea of a journey with the idea of a dance that instead of only focusing on the goal oriented, you also focus on the musical nature of things right now. So listen to this quote. He says, see, the world is a musical phenomenon. Good music never refers to anything except the music itself. You don't ask Mr. Bach, Mr. Ramashankar, what do you mean by this music? What is it intended to express? 
bad music always expresses something other than itself, like the 1812 overture. I don't know what that is, but he seemed not to like it very much. I'm not, I'm not understanding. Okay, so he's saying know. so far. Well, I don't understand how he interprets the journey when everything's in moments. No, no, he's not. He's saying it's more of a musical phenomenon. He's saying everything in this moment is to be appreciated as a musical phenomenon. He's saying don't think of it as a journey because it's like, but you can't think of it as a journey because there's no... He's explaining exactly. Oh, he's playing people regular people. Yes, yeah. regular people yeah. think that. Exactly, exactly. So 1812, yeah, 1812 overture. Oh, wow, we have a live playing of it. I guess it's Tchaikovsky. It's Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Yeah, they bring it closer. Wow, so apparently this is music that referred to something other than itself. So I guess it was, uh, you, you can do the homework for next week to see what was the 1812. Maybe it was referring to the, the War of 1812. I have, it was? Wow, I said there's no way that's a coincidence. Okay, so that's probably why people don't respect it as much but anyway it probably is beautiful music don't get caught up too much on that particular but if you have something that's musical that's supposed to refer to something else it's not as beautiful as music that just is for itself that's what he's saying so far good music never talks about anything other than the music wow. if you ask Bach what is your meaning he'll say listen that's the meaning Giraffes are giraffing, trees are treeing, stars are starring, clouds are clouding, rain is raining. And if you don't understand, look at it again. And people are peopling. Wow. That's the quote from Alan Watts. So what, what he's saying is, so what was your question, Sammy? So, I mean, if you want there to be words, there can be words. Some songs have words in them. But, then but lyrics. Ah, okay. So that's why, to some degree, I think it's instrumental. It's it's just like instrument and words themselves. What are words? Words are just sounds at the end of the day. So stop insisting that these words that I'm saying have a particular meaning. Maybe what I'm saying right now is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fear signifying nothing, as Shakespeare would say. Right? Maybe that's on one hand what the world what the world is. So hear me out. Well, that's the famous quote from uh, Shakespeare. And, and one of these, these two philosophers were having a conversation about that exact idea. And uh, one of them was saying, you know, really reality could be thought of as this tale told by an idiot full of sound and fear signifying nothing. And the other philosopher, R.H. Blythe, said, wow, when you put it that way, it doesn't seem so bad after all. Yeah. And the point being that when does life get horrible, absolutely terrible, and, and when it's so serious, when you insist on this and this meaning and this and this outcome, that's when life really becomes the worst, to be honest. It also could become really, really good and meaningful in certain ways, meaning in, in, in terms of how does this thing that's happening mean something in terms of my ego right now. That's fine. And that's all a story that we are able to play. But you don't always have to buy into that story constantly. Sometimes you can enjoy the meaninglessness of the musical nature of things. And that's fine. That does, that's not a sacrilege in any way. Because in fact, that's a way of stopping to project your ego constantly onto the world and instead listening to what is the world saying right now. 
And in what way is my body and my ego part of that symphony? I mean, the, the conception that you have of being a separate self from the whole universe. Meaning, you can only really understand yourself in context of everything in space and time. But we, we have this delusion, each of us, that we are a separate being in space and time. But in the realist reality, we are fundamentally a part of it. So the question is now, now that that's the case, that I have an ego, how is it part of this beautiful symphony? And like he's saying, it just is. Listen and you'll understand. And if you don't get it, look at it again. So like they'll, they'll say, like, what's the fundamental meaning of, of the Buddhism? And, and the guy will say, the mountains are blue and the clouds are white. And the grass is green. That's it. And, and there's something so relieving about this. Why do, why do I say that? What does the word nirvana mean? Nirvana literally means the breath out. It means, phew. It means like, isn't that a relief? Like this whole time, I was insisting that this would turn out this way. And that would turn out that way. And you know what? The real insistence that each of us has. I must go on living. Even those of us who think we've accepted our own death have not in a lot of ways. For me personally, this is what I probably work on the most in my spiritual life is my most primal fear. It's almost like at the center of all fears that I've ever had and will ever have is the fear of death. And it's this insistence that I need to keep on going as this ego. And the relief of it all is, number one, you don't have to keep on going as this ego. And number two, you have never been a separate ego to begin with. But that's not something I could put into words. I wish I could tell you that. But that's, this, is, this is where my words stop. And, and the rest is like, you know, this is like the finger pointing at the moon. I have my own work to do, of course, as well. But it, it's in right now. It's in dropping it. That's what it is. And, and when you're able to try to, you know, hone in on and zone into that world of it's a musical thing. It's not a journey with a particular destination. That's when you're more in line with that stuff. So any questions? Okay, about nice. Yes, I do. How does the ego thing you keep your hyped on the ego? How does it go to last week with the id? Ah, so last week we were talking about how the id sometimes, like Bela said, the id sometimes it, it takes on this this uh, almost ugly form, and right. it uh, you know. So I think the ego traditionally, uh, and you know, Jack Jones could talk about it. Say it again. That the the idea of uh, of the ego is that it's balancing constantly between the super ego and the id. This is a Freudian idea. The superego being all moralistic and I, you know, all these, these ideas of social norms and mores, things that I need to do to be a moral person and accepted in the eyes of the society. And the id is kind of like these basic drives of like hunger, thirst and sex and, and so on and so forth. And not necessarily so focused on the way that society will perceive that stuff. And the ego is playing this tug of war between the two. And the ego also, the way I use it, is not necessarily in that Freudian sense, 
but it does balance those things. And the ego is trying to constantly balance all elements of our lives. And part of the trust of God or part of the trust of the universe or the ineffable or whatever you want to call it is the ego letting go of that control and trusting that in this moment, it will flow as it needs to flow. And that's not something either that I could really put into words, but that's my best attempt. And it's each of our relationship with God or the universe that is unfolding all the time. And that relationship between our ego and the whole universe is a beautiful drama and it's a beautiful symphony. The people we meet, the experiences that we have are like different notes that are that are coinciding with each other in the in the really the grand symphony of the world. So so to me, that's that's something that that gives me a, a lot of solace because it allows me to say, you know what, just because I'm not, you know, at the end of my enlightenment journey, it doesn't mean that there's not a beautiful symphony that's happening. Right. And I, I think in the uh, in Tehillim, there's a beautiful pasuk, right? He says the Torah is compared to Sha'ashua. What is the word that we, uh, we mentioned a few times? What does Sha'a mean? The word Sha'a. So it means time, but it has another meaning. The first time it's used in the Torah. To Kain and to his offering, Hashem did not turn towards. So the idea of to turn towards, to turn towards, Sha'ashua, they can say that the etymology is something that's turning toward itself. So the idea that the hachamim, I think, and the rabbi could maybe tell me what the Gemara would say about this, but the idea I think the hachamim are saying, and we're going to talk about this within Kabbalah as well, is that the Torah itself is supposed to be this fun, symphonic thing. That it's not always supposed to be goal-oriented. And I know that sounds like crazy to say, because I agree, fine, that's one part of it. But of course, we have the famous debate, is what's more important, limud Torah or actions of, of mitzvot? And what do the hachamim say? Limud Torah, why? Because it leads to action. <laughs> so, so they're picking up on that exact point. Also, you can't do mitzvah properly without learning stuff. You can't do a mitzvah properly without learning well, about the mitzvah. That's exa- that's true, too. 100%. You have to have the covenant known that you're doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. Sure, 100%. Knowing, I have to light it, I have to put it here, I have to do this. Absolutely. Having the covenant, I definitely have to put it here. For sure. I, I, and it adds a lot of depth and a lot of meaning to it. I think... So now let's go back to the idea of Sha'ashua. Right? What does that mean now in context of me needing to learn Torah for a particular reason. Now it's saying, no, 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 no. The Torah study itself is fun. And there's something about uncovering the layers of Torah and of meaning that's inherently fun and meaningful for us. Most of Torah, most of the Mishnah, Gemara, they're not practical. Exactly. That's exactly the point. Precisely because it's theoretical. Yes. It enters into the whole world of the... The, the legal structure. Yes. Um, I got a teacher. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and the funny thing is I've had a lot of debates with people where people tell me, Michael, why are you so philosophically minded? And why do you need to constantly do all this stuff? Isn't it a contradiction in terms? Michael, they'll say like, isn't your need to constantly think about the world taking away from the experience of the world? And they, they finally think they got me. They think they cornered me in this place where now I, you know, I'm going to give up my whole uh, enjoyment of the philosophy stuff. And my response is always the same, which is that the philosoph- philosophizing is itself an experience. That the, the, the journey that we were just saying is not necessarily actually really a journey is itself very fun and very much the destination as well. Meaning... Life wouldn't be fun if, like, let's say you go to the concert and uh, because we're always so focused on the destination, you get to the concert, and they go, dumb, and that's the end. Nobody would go to the concert. That's boring. Or you go and you see people dancing and really it's not a dance. It's a relay race to get to that part of the room because who could finish the dance first? No, 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 no. The point is that the journey and the destination kind of blur their lines when you start to think of the world as more of a musical phenomenon. So I know when, when uh, the Hachamim say in the, in the Kabbalistic idea, Hashem created the world with the ten sefirot and with uh, the alphabet of, the, of, the, of, the, of Hebrew. Right? What do they mean by that? Part of me thinks that, and, and I'm going out on a limb here, so tell me if you think this makes any sense, but it's almost like by conceptualizing the world with letters and numbers the way that we do, it's almost like that's how we as humans right now are partners in the creation of this world. And of course, it's God who creates it, but it's almost like it took two to tango to create this world with sefirot, which really has a lot more to do with misparim than these emanations, really the, the deepest etymology of numbers. And these letters, it, it all comes together in a certain way to create an experience and a reality for us that is compartmentalized. And yet that's part of creation. And that even though it's not experience of the oneness at all times, it itself is still meaningful and fun and enjoyable and important. Right. So so you 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 start to think about this. You say, wow, you know, there's there's not so much of a of a judgment of not necessarily being on a, on a road towards something. And yet at the same time, we are headed somewhere. And the, and the way that the Torah is structured is it's telling me, no, Hashem is in search of man. He created the world looking to have a relationship with something. And then you add on the Kabbalistic element. Now what do we say? Okay, Hashem created this world. And there was this tremendous catastrophe. And that Hashem was sending his light through these divine vessels. And what happened? There was a shattering of these divine vessels and everything kind of went away and it, it all shattered. Now, what I was saying earlier about the sefirot and the letters, what, what do some of the hachamim say? They say, when you perform a mitzvah, we're going to get to this soon. When you perform a mitzvah, it's literally like you can imagine or visualize the letters of that mitzvah in the action that you're doing. Now, is this a literal thing? How do you understand this? It's more of a meditative idea, but it's almost the same idea, I think. I think it's almost a hint to what do they say? That they say Hashem created the world with ma'amarim, with dibur, with speech. 
And they say that when Hashem created the world with speech, some of these very esoteric teachings say the words themselves, the letters crystallized into that creation. So Hashem said or, and the crystallization of those letters became or. So to reverse engineer that rabbinic idea, the Hachamim said, you can do the same thing with your mitzvot. Does, do I sound like crazy right now? What do you guys think of this idea? I like the idea. I just have trouble with what you said. Oh, man. <laughs> um, about us being a partner in creation. I don't know what you mean by that. Okay. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is, that's a fantastic question. You know, uh, we say uh, Adon Olam sometimes in the morning. You have that. It's a beautiful, like, beautiful. What was the question? Yeah. So the question was, what does it mean for us to be partners with God in creation? So we say Adon Olam in the morning, and, and you could look it up in the Sidur, and it's so beautiful. And you say to yourself, you read this stuff, and it's saying, if God would have been, you know, all alone in creation, that it would just be God, and He would be totally levad. Totally by his lonesome. But then by creating the world and creating human beings, it says, in other words, God was allowing his full glory to come to fruition. So, if I may, yeah, it sounds to me like an example of me creating a bunch of dolls and then saying, you know, mm. at the end of the day, it's just because God ah. creates the world, he's still, you know, in quotes, Levad by himself, but mm. because nothing can compare remotely to God. Mm -hmm. So I, I just don't understand, you know. So you what's know. so what's the difference here between the analogies? That you, as the creator of those dolls, still remember that you were the creator of those dolls. But what if it's possible? And this is a very mystical, kabbalistic idea, and this is why they say it because of your question. They say, what if it's possible that after God created you and me in this world, He somehow, impossibly, somehow, caused himself to forget that he was little old you and little old me and this creation and that creation. This is a, it's a, uh, somewhere in the Kabbalah, I believe, but it's also very much an Eastern idea, to be very honest with you. I think, it, I think I've seen it in the Kabbalah as well, but I'll have to check for you. But it is a, an Eastern mystical idea. But I think the point of it is to answer your question which is that there's a certain game of cosmic hide-and-seek going on here, that it's almost like playing a practical joke on yourself, where you and I can't really do that because we know what we're going to do. But the experience that mystics have explained once they come to the experience of oneness is for, in some way, they say, it felt like I had just played the funniest practical joke on myself. And it's almost like that. I can't say it. Uh, <laughs> if I could say the joke, it wouldn't be funny. If I could tell you, then I would be defying the laws of physics and space time. But maybe after class, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Because. I, you know, they say he who says it does not know, he who knows it does not say. And I'm not saying that to piss you off or to be cagey or whatever. 
I'm saying that because I genuinely cannot speak it. So tell me after class. No, no, yeah, I can't even tell you after class, but we could have an even longer conversation after class. But it's not something I could ever put into really words. No, I'll tell you after class. <laughs> I'll tell you after class what I, what I can't say anyway. But I'll try. Yeah. That God was hiding from Himself by manifesting as little old me or you. Like created a version of Himself that doesn't know this. Ah, so what is the Kabbalist? Oh, it's very simple. The Kabbalistic idea of this. There's, there's probably people listening on Spotify or wherever, and they're screaming it now. I hope this answers your thing. The idea is of Simtum in a way. It, I think that's right. the, right. the right. parallel. Simtum is the idea that God subtracted of himself, of his infinity, in order to leave space for the finite. So it's the same idea, just said in a different way. So right. if you want to talk about it as a drama, you say hide and seek. And that's probably the Eastern way of saying it. But if you want to talk about it as more of a phenomenon, you say, okay, God subtracted of his infinity, because the question is, how could there be room for finite you and finite me and finite everything in a world where God is infinity and there, there can't be room for anything that's not infinity? Why not? Because how could infinity be finite? How could there be a this world that's finite in addition to the concept of infinity? Yeah, all the physicists will tell you. So we could come back to this. I don't want to get too lost in this rabbit hole. He's the first, he's the, he's the, lays the foundation for the and the Kabbalah. Yeah. He lays the foundation. What they say in, in Kabbalah is that certain rabbis were given the information, but not given permission to explain them. Mm -hmm. So that's why some people reveal different things at different times. So it could be he was aware of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, permission. I don't know exactly. So I, I think this is extremely interesting, and I would love to, to continue to talk about it. I really do. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. But, but I think just as a last point, it's the same thing as questioning. How is there room for me? If God is everything, how is there room for a separate being in me? Or unless you agree and you say, okay, I'm part of God. What does that even mean? Then how can that, I be judged by God? That's a separate question. I'm more inclined to, to like agree with that statement. We have to discuss what that means, but mm. that sounds better than, than whatever you said before, because I didn't understand that. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it again. We'll, we'll come back to it later. Um, so just to continue with uh, one more quote from Alan Watts. Why do we have to yeah. think of our reality to the worlds of the greater reality, the perfect greater reality? Um, that's a good question as well. Yeah. I don't know. May, may not exist in, in God's realm. Oh, no, Fair enough. That God is, is infinity, meaning we don't, then we wouldn't that realm subsume now, ours as well? I don't think it, I don't think it pays to, to, to get into more of this rabbit hole, but... I think that it, was, it was intended that, that we could fathom it. Yeah. There is rational and logical behind it. So if you look Michael at that, said in the beginning, that if you look at it, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, he said saying ineffable, which means that it implies something, but it's also not. So, so 
it yeah. takes away from what it is. So yeah. Okay, well, we'll come back to it. Well, I promise we'll come back to it after class. But we'll talk a little more. So Alan Watts, there's a story about Confucius, who one day met Lao Tzu, who was a great Chinese philosopher. And Lao Tzu said, sir, what is your system? And Confucius said, it is charity and love of one's neighbor and elimination of self-interest. Lao Tzu said, stuff and nonsense. Your elimination of self is a positive manifestation of self. Look at the universe. The stars keep their order. The trees and plants grow upwards without exception. The waters flow. Be like this. All your nonsense about elimination of self is like beating a drum in search of a fugitive. A fugitive is some a runaway. So I think that's so brilliant because part of me absolutely adores this entire quote because it encapsulates the reason that I think religion in general has become such a failure in so many ways. Not, not a total and utter failure, but I think the reason that religions can get stale and you could see uh, the writings are all by Abraham Joshua Heschel for more about that. But the point is that when you get up for a sermon and your whole sermon consists of, and God says you should be better and you should go home and be better people and do this better and do that better. Da, 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 da. It's the same thing we always talk about, which is trying to lift up yourself by your own bootstraps or trying the ego trying to overcome itself. That's what Confucius is in a way saying that I, I need to eliminate myself. Who wants to eliminate itself? That's more of a positive expression of self than anything. The biggest ego trip going is trying to eliminate your ego. That's the most egotistical thing. Who the heck are you to think you could overcome your ego? So the point of Lao Tzu is so brilliant. He says, just be. Do less. The way that the stars are, they just are. The, the waters flow. The grass grows, the trees grow, the clouds are flowing by. Be like that. And the trees are growing. Yeah, they're just growing. They're not thinking about how to grow. They're not deciding to grow. They're just growing. But, but they're, form, they're following the formulas that they have in their Ah, brilliant. Why do I say that's so brilliant? Because part of this is now to say, to come back and say, ah, you know what? My neuroticism is also part of that flow. And every thought, that's also part of that flow. Yeah, so don't, and don't judge yourself for that. And if you judge yourself, don't judge yourself, judge yourself for that. And we can keep spiraling here and keep on going about this. But the, this, the point is, it's impossible to deviate from this Tao, from this flow of everything. You just are it. Ah, it doesn't mean not to make decisions. And it means that also is part of the Tao. Yes. I'm putting your ego in check. Yes. Exactly. Agreed. Agreed with all of that. Agreed with every single every single thing you just said. It's a middle path, and it's it's also trying to say when you find yourself getting so neurotic from thinking too much in that way, come back to your very nature, which is in line with the whole universe. Because so, mu so much of the mental illness and the sickness of society, especially anxiety and depression, anxiety focusing on the future, depression focusing on the past, is an obsession about how things should be. But in order to heal that in a lot of ways, Lao Tzu is saying, you don't have to totally go down that rabbit hole. 
you can come back to your very nature, which is just being here and being with what is. Mikey. Mike. Hold on, ID. Sorry, I just no got to answer this question no one second. So wasn't he being egotistical? That's a good question. I don't think I can answer that because I'm, I wasn't there and I'm not in his situation. And it could be he was just saying that he that fully mindlessly just saying it, not in a judgmental way. No, but it's just pointing out that Confucius or trying to put his ego in check was just chasing his ego further. Yeah. He had control over his and then but you you that. putting him down is also ego. I don't think I think you could ask that about everything that's ever said. You could keep going, keep going, keep going. You're right. But just take well, it for what it is. That's what I would say. And also, I don't I think this conversation actually happened between these two individuals. No, no, I think it's two schools of thought. It's like Bet Hillel, Bet Shammai. So, yes, I did. Question. So, that is a two, two things. You brought up Shammai and Hillel. So yes. I, I always ask the rabbis, how they were two, like, towers of Talmudic power, and they always had a difference of opinion. So why did people buy into their wrestling match? Ah, so part of the thing with Judaism is that, you know, the famous joke that there was a Jewish guy stranded on a desert island and uh, they found they found two buildings and they, he, they, he, they're up to the first one. And they, after they found them after 30 years, they said, what's that building? He says, that's my shul. That's my synagogue. And then they said, what's that other one? He goes, that's the one I don't go to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing with Jewish people is we love to have opposing forces right. and that's not the thing with Jewish people that's the thing about the universe that right. the universe wouldn't exist without yin and yang without positive and negative without all these opposing sure. forces and, and and that's why we love Mahloket and that we say in the in Mishnah uh, a debate that is for the sake of heaven is going to continue and meaning we want the debate to continue, but a debate that's not Lashem Shamaim and so far the game, it's not going to continue. It's just going to go off and die to one extreme. But a healthy society is one where there's debate, is one where there's discourse, is one where there's a left wing and a right wing. And all those people who say, in my time, there was only this way. You're full of it. And no, there's always been a left wing and a right wing. Okay, that has probably shifted, though. It could be shifting very much towards the left today, and that's an argument you can make. But it's healthy for society to always have a left wing and a right wing. Right. So the, other, the other point I just wanted to bring out was that also we're talking about all this, you know, really, really, I think, like self-actualization or whatever. So I, I lean on on my guy, on Wayne Dyer, our friend, mm. and what yeah. he said, which really always stuck to me. He says, don't die with your music still in you. Ah. Uh. Amazing. In other words, so you really should just let it all out. You should do mm -hmm. what you got to do. You know, when you're talking about all these things, they're driving, dividing, you're hitting your ego. So really the game plan is to, to eliminate, to sort of flush out your mind and, and think positive. Is that the goal? I think what he's saying almost is like every human being could be seen as an instrument of God or of the universe. Nice. And a lot of us are driven by whatever we're driven by. Sometimes it's like a depression or it's some kind of thing that's not going to right for us. And we become very isolated and we don't want to sing our song or celebrate life the way we want to celebrate it. But then we have times where we feel happy and excited about life and we're singing our song. And I think he, what he's trying to say is celebrate and love your individuality and your uniqueness. 
for what it is, because that's what the world is made of. It's made up of biodiversity, of diversity in so many different ways. And celebrate that and be that, you know, and we were talking about last week, which leads me right into what we were talking about for the Kabbalistic stuff, which is that there's the difference between loving the particulars and loving the general. And sometimes we run into problems when we think the only way for me to love the general is by purely loving the generalities of life, the universalities of life, and not loving the, the, the specificities of life. But then we realize, no, part of loving God is having sex with my wife. Part of loving God is feeding my child, you know, running around with the fork as an airplane. Part of loving God is cleaning up a dirty diaper. Every single one of those things is part of loving God. And if you can't see that, that's your own hang up. Not you personally, but a person who can't see that. That's And that's part of this spiritual psychotherapy I'm trying to do with you guys is to unravel those egoic complexes that prevent us from seeing everything in all moments as the plenum, the totality of God's glory. Because really in every moment, this is the totality of God's glory. And the way that the Buddhists will say this is they'll say, what is the fundamental uh, principle of Buddhism? And they'll say, uh, a dried dung scraper. And why did they say that? They said that because they know that this is something that if you're not enlightened, you're going to have all these associations like, ew, that's yucky, you know? No, that's it just is. It just is a dry dung scraper. And if you could see it as that without judgment, and it's the same thing as Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then acquiring this judgmentalism about the world of everything is good and bad. If we could return to the before that, bring us back to before the eating from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We can now just see everything as it is without the overlay of our egoic judgments. All right, so let's let's uh, let's look at some Kabbalistic stuff. I, I, we started late, so I, I don't feel too bad about going a, a little bit over, if that's okay with you guys, with your permission. Um, so we talked about last time, you know, speaking about all this stuff. Eating is a way of liberating the sparks. We talked about the rabbi who went all the way on this business trip and he, he encountered a stream and said a beracha in that stream, and that had this tremendous meaning for for his rabbi. Um, and defecation is a way of kind of eliminating the husks and the the kilipot, as we say. Um, Enlisting bodily needs and pleasures in the service of God. And we say, make every single thing that you do. That's the same as what I was just saying. Seeing everything in every moment as the glory of God. What you think is just a rusty beer can on the street. That's also part of the glory of God. Every single moment is the glory of God. Um, but careful not to be too neurotic with all this stuff. Because then it just it leads back into the issues, which is, judging yourself for not living up to something so you finish brushing your teeth you say damn it i wasn't mindful enough and then you're judging yourself and now you're still not mindful so one piece of advice that really helped me from joseph goldstein he says when you find yourself coming back to the moment after a long period of being lost in thought instead of judging yourself for having been lost in thought for that long period rejoice in this moment when you said lost in thought you mean not appreciating god I mean, anything, just not being present, not being mindful. All right. And, and, and what that means is we can just come back to this moment and say, wow, I celebrate the fact that I am back in this moment. And that's all there is to it. Right. It's that simple. Uh, so this is a beautiful way of experiencing the world. We said last time the Baal Shem Tov said, 
Uh, it's an important principle. Whatever a person eats or wears or any vessel he uses, he benefits from the force present in that object. Without this spiritual life force, it would be devoid of existence. Further, in each of these things, there are holy sparks related to the root of his soul. This is the reason why a person likes a certain thing while another does not. Hence, when a person uses that thing or eats that food, even if he does it to satisfy a physical need, he can thereby repair the fallen sparks. For the strength he acquires from that garment or meal or whatever he uses to serve God, thereby repairs them. So what the Baal Shem Tov here is he's painting a picture. He's saying you as an individual have a unique connection with every physical thing that you encounter in this world. I think this is an unbelievable way of living. Every ounce of water that you drink, every bit of food that you eat, every you know, garment of clothing that you wear is part of this divine symphony in which it was meant to be that my sparks and these sparks of my shirt were for some reason in an intimate connection for a certain amount of time. And that's a way of living a love story. We were mentioning how, you know, the Eastern stuff doesn't have so much of that. The beauty that Kabbalah is, is very much a love drama between a human being and his or her environment. Yeah, please. There's um, the person, her name Marie Kondo, a Japanese woman who um, went viral and um, she wrote books about uh, a cleaning and organizing system. And she says, in essence, if you distill it down, if it doesn't bring you joy, get rid of it. Uh, I love that. <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, you know, the point of that is it's well taken. I think it's 100% right. And, and it's, it's kind of like cutting out the negative energy and the negative things in your life. And I think part of, part of appreciating and, and being in joy, what I've found is desiring the things that you already have and loving and wanting those things that you already have. And that's a way of really being in joy. And whatever you find that's really just, you know, not necessary, 100%, I agree, cut it out, you know. Um, so when we say berachot, we're not just saying these blessings for deep mystical intention, but also for the sake of liberating some kind of sparks within that food. And that's an amazing way. Of, of eating an apple or eating anything and drinking anything where you see this divine connection between yourself and it. And what I'll say is, yeah, this is not at the level of oneness of everything because there's still a you and an apple or a you and the water. But there's a lot of mystical stool, schools. Exactly. And there's... there's where, where oh. It's a Kabbalistic idea, yeah. So, so it's the idea that, that God created the world and there were all these vessels that shattered when God created the world through his emanation of his energy into the world. And all these sparks got scattered all throughout physical reality and are covered by husks. And these husks are hiding them. But when you do a mitzvah, you're bringing these sparks back to their creator. And when you do an avira, you're strengthening the husks. Ah, that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, no, no, I think that's beautiful. And, and But just to, to expand on what we're saying is that there's an idea of liberating these sparks where you're, you're purposely, in a way, what's called edging on the boundary of the oneness. You're not yet merging with God, but you're enjoying the duality in a loving way. 
So you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm resisting being subsumed by God's oneness and I'm maintaining myself as an individual to enjoy this water that God created for me. And yeah, I'm not yet in the oneness of God, but the beauty is the journey that's leading me there. And that's really what I think the, the beautiful contribution of Kabbalah is. It's staying at the level of duality because of a love story. Because a love story cannot exist if everything is fully one. Unless there's an experience of the duality. But then ironically, when you experience the fully oneness, you also look back and say, oh, this whole time it was love, even with the duality. And that's not something I could explain to you. It's kind of like that, the poem Footprints in the Sand. Shira Shirim, 100%. So we'll run through a couple more ideas and then we'll end. Some teachings even claim that the divine letters are encapsulated in the food. This is what I was trying to tell you guys earlier. God created the word, the world with the word. And so the Hebrew alphabet sustains all things, including food. This is, I, I have to look in the, in the book that I'm, that I'm referencing, I'll tell you. Foods differ. It's a book by Byron Sherwin called Kabbalah. Rabbi Byron Sherwin. Foods differ by embodying different combinations of divine letters. So that when you focus on these letters while eating, you could visualize these divine letters to, in effect, visualize God in some sense. In one view, whatever we're looking at is God. So while you're eating, you could visualize somehow the divine letters that went into creation of this food. And as you're eating it, you fully appreciate and internalize the fact that you're engaging in a divine act. Wow. Mikey, yeah. are, there, are there certain foods, heebie-jeebie foods? <laughs> well, I would say I've heard stories of Kabbalistic rabbis that are able to, you know, kind of feel a certain fruit. And, you know, I'm not judging. And I have no idea what, what this, I have no. <laughs> no, like if you eat something, like, like, you, like it's, a, it's a spiritual high if you eat a certain food. Like, yeah, they could, they could feel a certain food to see, was, is there still a soul of a person that's not liberated still in this food or not? And wow. uh that's really heebie-jeebie. Yeah. That's really heebie-jeebie. You asked for it, I, I, I gave it to you. My friend went to a rabbi, Rabbi uh, Pinto. You always do, Mikey. You always <laughs> do. He knew his whole family, his grandparents. Wow. Uh, he wasn't feeling good. He told him what to do unless he felt better. Okay, listen. I, I, you know, I, there's these these stories are a dime a dozen. But the also, point is to, make, that, is to bring you closer to God. Yeah. I learned this week. I was sitting through Dashishi. Rabbi Aluk's brother was, was in town. He's also a rabbi. Sitting through Dashishi. We're sitting uh, nearby. And he said, I don't know exactly, I don't, I don't know exactly why, but he said, are there any foods? He said, you're supposed to eat a fish during Sudash Lishit. Wow. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Huh. So, so I heard that's, fish during all, all the meals on Shabbat. On Shabbat, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly. No. In this instance, he, he, he well, said, well, so. not to say, and, and I think it has to be something said, you can't even come back. It's, if they come back, they come back as fish. I don't know. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. I, Mikey, I heard yeah. that years ago, my rabbi told me that if you eat the fish, that in other words, when they come to get us to gog and magog, the fish is gonna blow them out. <laughs> I love that. Listen, I it could, I think all these things have some kind of deep, deep meaning, and I I really do. I just ID, is this true? This yeah. stuff? Well, what do you say? What do you say? Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, this guy Sammy Kitch wants to know if the heebie-jeebie stuff is all true. Yeah, it's it's very heavy, but you gotta hold on. <laughs> you gotta hold on to it. This yeah. is, he says it's very heavy, but what? You got to hold on to it. That's right. You got to hold on to it, man. It's wow. important stuff, despite the fact that it's heavy. Um, so we'll just end off with a couple of final ideas. I'll be very quick. Um, 
so this is the mystical explanation of the pasuk. Uh, There's a very strange thing that after we got the Torah, there were these people that went up to the mountain, the 70 elders, and uh, along with uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, and these, uh, Moshe went all the way to the top of the mountain that they didn't get to go up to. And it says at one point that they saw God's, uh, you know, sapphire brickwork. And under God's feet was the sapphire brickwork. And it's something very cryptic in the text. And then it says something very strange. They looked at God and they ate and they drank. And then it says, Sorry, it was right before that. It says, God did not send his hand against these people who received the divine spirit. And then they ate and drank and saw God. And it's like, it seems like despite the fact that they ate and drank, he didn't send his hand against them. And that word also appears one other time, which is in Bereshit. Uh, we're talking about Adam and Hava. We could talk about that afterwards. But the point here being that the, the Kabbalah is taking this in a positive way. And it's saying that really seeing God is to eat and drink. Simple physical pleasures in this world, Kohelet will certainly agree, but this is even deeper, is the ultimate experience of love of God and seeing God if you have the right perspective, if you could visualize the divine letters that crystallized into that food. So here's a quote, put another way, the word of God creates the food and is in the food waiting to be rescued. So eating is seen by some as an act of freeing the human soul from the body of a plant or animal. I did this is what you were asking for, in which it has been imprisoned after reincarnation. So, so some rabbis would purposely eat certain foods in order to liberate the human oh, soul from that food. I think to be shy. I think that's a lot ah, of the Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But I, uh, I would love to hear more. No, I, we have a little more to go, but we, we have to end now. But uh, you guys were awesome. Really such good energy tonight. I'm so glad you guys could all come. Uh, any, any more questions or comments before we, uh, we end? Okay. Mm -hmm. Good, yeah. What, you have a question? No? No? Okay. I just yeah. to know, I don't know if you'll touch upon it. Um, I keep hearing that um, we're guilty and that whoever's in our lives now or the people we keep seeing has been in our lives. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, that's very funny. You said you can't get rid of them. I would love to. So I'll say briefly, my the best explanation I've heard for, for reincarnation is like this. You know, if everything is oneness at the end of the day, that's one thing you have to keep in mind. Really, at the end of the day, we're all part of this oneness. And the idea of a separate soul is also not really real from that perspective. So they keep that in mind. So they compare it to spilling ink on a sheet of paper, like in a whole bunch of different ways, not intentionally just spilling it on the paper. You could start to see certain patterns of the way that that ink, you know, kind of shot out from the very center. And it seems like there's this squiggle leading to this squiggle and this blotch is coming off of that blotch. So from one perspective, it seems like, yeah, this blotch is a direct outgrowth of that blotch. So this life is a direct outgrowth of that other life. And some people have even spoken about the flipping of images, like Ram Das talks about when during the mystical experience, you have a flipping of images of being a plant and then it rising and falling into its death. 
being an animal and then rising and falling into his death, being another person and it's rising and falling into his death. Some people having taken salvia divinorum have spoken about uh, living out 50, 60 years as another person uh, and then coming back to this life. Or if you've ever seen that Rick and Morty episode uh, where he puts on that headset, it's a very funny one. But bottom line is, I think from one perspective, it's all one. But from another perspective, we feel a connection to other souls that exist and we feel like maybe I'm an offshoot of that or some weird intuition that we might have that we're in some way intimately divinely connected with specific souls as reincarnations. But it's not really for me to, to state authoritatively or one way or another, but I think it's a great question. So I heard that uh, I once in the, the last to fix something. Right? <laughs> You're here to fix something. And I heard that whatever you have trouble with the most, some things are very easy for me, you know, and mm -hmm. other people it's very hard. Me, I'm struggling with a few things, and they say that whatever you're struggling with most, that's what you're here to fix. Because mm. you know what I'm struggling with, you easy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the opposite because everyone's so different. Like whatever you know, you're struggling with, I, I heard like, for me, that's kind of what I have to you know work on and fix. I think that's a beautiful perspective. Yeah, yeah. That's I heard a story about that. The baby who there was a three-year-old who got drowned in the pool, you know, very, very sad. <laughs> then the Shama came down, some came he came to his father in a dream. He said the reason was because I think he was like a Holocaust survivor or something. There was no water at the pool. No, and he uh, he was buried in a non-Jewish grave. It wasn't very proper. He came back and he died as a baby, the kid. So we can have a Jewish burial. So mm. it's, it's very sad for the parents. It's very sad for the baby. But at the end of the day, you know, fixing was very Jewish man in the proper, proper way. And now he's getting like, you see the sad, and you can see how it all you know works out, even though you don't understand. Mm. Beautiful. Just one thing about yeah. the uh, seeing God and then drinking and eating and drinking. Mm. Every holiday is ours is eating and drinking. A hundred percent. I think the whole idea of elevating the food and elevating the physical experiences that we have, you know, by lifting up the mundane to the spiritual, specifically on Shabbat, but anytime is this idea that there's no shame in engaging in the physical with the spiritual context that's enveloping it at all times if only you can take that perspective but don't go too far don't go in the direction of where he said where i could do a sin that is part of the divine who knows what in order to you know i don't know what he thought but somehow he thought this was furthering the divine agenda so I wouldn't go that far, as they say. I don't yeah. think that you told me. I'm, I'm glad, saying, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying he's better wrong, but in the perspective, you say he's right. But we're not on that quote-unquote Shabbat No. Why not? I'm not saying, I'm saying there's a perspective to say that because we're not on what his level, whatever that might you're be. You're on a much higher level than me if you're able to see no, that, but okay. I see yeah. a perspective. I don't agree with anything he did. I'm yeah. saying it's a perspective to say he was right. He may shouldn't publicize these, you know, whatever, but 
He may, he may be right, but you know, we just can't see it. Why would you say that? I'm just saying a perspective. I agree, yeah. 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 Um, I think because um there is a right and wrong. Right? There was uh God gave us the opportunity to choose good, which means by default that there's something that's the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's saying we could do the things that are wrong, we could change things that weren't meant to be, and oh that's for the better. But really Oh, sorry, Rabbi. Time is an illusion. Yeah, guy, ID, you're the best. Yeah, let's do it. Have a great week. Take care. I'll see you later.